Sportsnet Today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan, Calgary. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today uh, with Ryan Pike and now joined for the second hour of the program by Post Media's Wes Gilbertson. Hi, Wes. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm good. Uh, doing a lot of talking this, today. I, I know I know. for me it's not out of character, but usually I don't have a microphone in front of me. Well, this is just a little uh, glimpse for the rest of the world in uh, you know what it's probably like as you drive in your car, chatting about the Wranglers. I think this I, is on brand. Hey, we, and we had we had a little bit of Rapid City Rush talk uh, in the first hour, so I missed that. You missed you missed some Rory Karen's talk. You'll have to fill me in. Oh, it's always good. They're, uh, they're they have a good team there on them this year. You know, I can't speak too knowledgeably to the uh, Rush, but shout out to the Calgary Wranglers. They are absolutely rolling, uh, top spot in the Pacific Division in the AHL for the first time this season, and not looking back. I don't think that's a that's a strong team and a, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and they got uh, that goalie of theirs. I know we'll get into other topics this hour, but off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of uh, an organization that, at least on paper, has a, a better one-two-three punch of netminders. The Flames got, you know, Vesna runner-up last year, Jacob Markstrom, Dan Vladar, who, as we saw on Wednesday night in Seattle, pretty good goaltender. Dustin Wolf got another win last evening. Leads the American League in uh, wins and shutouts and top five and basically every other you know other category. Not a bad, uh, not a bad uh, chart of goalies to have. Yeah, absolutely. And the emergence, if that's the right word, of Dan Vladar really gives you the opportunity to. And, and you know what? Let me backtrack. Emergence isn't the right word, but you you sort of bet on Dan Vladar in a trade, and the fact that he has been exactly what you hoped he would be. That really allows you to let Dustin Wolf develop properly, to let him get that seasoning in the AHL that I think is so important. And, you know, quite frankly, when it comes time for Jacob Markstrom to be finished his stint with the Calgary Flames, if Dan Vladar's still here, Dustin Wolf's not going to be the no-brainer for to be the next starter. That's going to be a heck of a competition between those two. And And now we're probably into the weeds a little bit, but... Yeah. Dan Vladar, and I know we're going to talk more about him in this segment, really allows a couple things to happen. He's big for getting Jacob Markstrom a, a night off, or, or as we saw earlier this month, a few nights off. And, and he's also allowing Dustin Wolf to be, I think, exactly where he should be right now. And, and that's big for the Flames on a couple of fronts. Yeah. And, and uh, it, since we're already in the weeds, folks, uh, the way waivers works for goalies is goalies, uh, as you know, if they sign when they're this 20, this is deep into the weeds now. Exactly. When he, when when goalies sign when they're 20, like Wolf did, Wolf starts, you know, signed as a teenager and started pl- his contract started rolling as 20. You get four seasons of waiver exemption. So, uh, Dustin Wolf is in the second year of his entry level deal. He has one more year left in this entry level deal, and then he can sign for one more year. And the fifth season pro is when he'd start requiring waivers to go down. So, if you're thinking, oh no, they're, you know, are you if you're worried at all about them overcooking Dustin Wolf, they don't stand the risk of of losing his rights in any way, shape, or form for three more seasons. And I've been translating Pike for a while now, so what he's saying is don't worry about Dustin Wolf and waivers for quite a while. It's gonna be just fine. Yeah. If you if you have small children, they'll be large children by the time you have to worry about <laughs> Dustin Wolf. That's a very good way to put it. Uh as always, uh, we're broadcasting to you from the Doug Lacey Basin Systems downtown studio. Uh, please make sure you download our, the, the show on the Sportsnet Today feed and text your thoughts as we go along at 960-960. Uh, 
the Flames have played a bunch of hockey recently. They went into the the Christmas break with a back to back set in California. Flew home, got home at four in the morning, had a couple days off, then another back to back set where they had a, a really good like that. The game against Edmonton on Tuesday night was for my money a very good sixty minutes of hockey. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people wearing uh, red sweaters who were fairly unhappy with the results. But in terms of just the entertainment value of that product, oh boy, that was a good game. And there was another pretty good game 24 hours later on Wednesday night at the at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. And the Flames got the result that I think their their fans and they wanted, a 3-2 victory over the Seattle Kraken. And Wes, that was, like, I, I think, after what's undoubtedly the first game coming out of the, the Christmas break is a weird game because you you don't have a real practice. Sometimes, you know, there's player organized skates just to get the rust off and, you know, sweat out the Turkey, but the flames had a morning skate and that's it. The Oilers flew in more day of had a you know quick morning skate. And then they played the first few minutes of that game were kind of dodgy in terms of passes being connected, right. but then it, it came together. And I think, that's that was a game where I think the Flames were, you know, very unfortunate to to not pick up the result. And I think if you if you you could commend the Flames for one thing is that I don't think they changed a lot about their game against Seattle. They changed the goalie. They ran the exact same everything else, and they they got the result they wanted. And I think that consistency in terms of how they play was a big reason for their success. Yeah, I I thought last night was really really impressive from a, a flame standpoint. We're talking about some a really tough bit of scheduling, a back to back right before the Christmas break, then a home road back to back coming out of it. I know you chat all the time about schedule losses, those games that you sort of look at when the calendar comes out and, and think, especially that kind of game where you know we we saw that we saw the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs get a slap on the wrist from the league on Wednesday for for traveling on Boxing Day, uh, technically traveling on Boxing Day, right? Uh, but you know the, the the rules are there can be no team travel and no team uh, organized skates on Boxing Day. And so Seattle was one of the the ten teams that didn't play a game at all on on the twenty seventh. So they got a chance to have a regular practice. So this right. was as close to a regular game for the Kraken coming out of the break as they're going to get. And like you said, Flames played uh, played their most bitter rival and then flew out that night. Didn't have much of it. I think they probably had a, a small a small optional skate uh, on uh, on Wednesday before the game, but. That's that's a tough. That might be the most scheduled loss or scheduledly loss that you could have, right? It's got to be right up there without sort of pouring over the entire thing. And for them to come out the way that they did to to shake off the emotional loss the night before, you know, you can highlight some different individual performances. We wondered how Andrew Mangiapane would react to taking that costly penalty against the Oilers, essentially getting called out by his coach after. Well. That didn't seem to be an issue. That might have been his best game of the season last night. You always wonder, I think, about your goaltending on the second half of a back-to-back. Their routine's a little bit off, too. And Dan Vladar and Daryl Sutter said it himself last night. Dan Vladar did absolutely everything you could have asked for. And then you you fall behind. And, and when you're in one of those schedule losses, when you fall behind, sometimes the the battery level just absolutely sinks in that moment. Suddenly, you know, you're playing catch up and, and you're tired and 
And we've seen teams roll over in that circumstance, and the Calgary we, Flames absolutely didn't do that we, last we've night. We've seen different incarnations of this hockey club fall apart in those situations. When you know when Mark Giordano was in uh, was in this market, you know he spoke a few times, especially in years when things didn't go good for the Flames. The difference between things going well and things not going well was games like Wednesday night in Seattle, when early like first or second shift of the second period. You go down based on your team sort of losing the plot defensively in their own end. You go down 2-1 against a divisional team that this season gave you probably your biggest gut punch loss of the season on home ice. You get down and, you, you know, I think there would have, from the human side of it, I think they'd be well, you know, a lot of the players in the back of mind might be going, here we go again. And then Daryl Sutter calls a timeout. They seem to hit the reset button. Granted, you know, for folks watching the game, the the shift right afterwards included two breakaways by Brandon Tanev that, you know, neither of which went into the net, but they had that awkward shift right after the timeout. And then they seemed to really find the plot again. And then I think that the, from then on, I think the Flames did a lot of good things and took over the games for large stretches. And you could see Seattle kind of, they, after, you know, after the Flames tied the game, and heading into the third period, you can almost see Seattle had that had that visible slump. The here we go again kind of thing where, granted, Seattle has sort of been having a bit of a challenging stretch of late, but the Flames had the opportunity to either lay down or get up and, and you know, take the control of the game again. And I think you got to commend them for their ability to really, you know, clear the slate, clear their heads and just go back and get it. Yeah, and let's get back to that timeout in, in a minute. But I, I think part of the importance of last night for me was that it maintained some of the momentum that they built on the road trip. If you had have come out of that 3-0 and 1 trip, you know, you talk so much about climbing into a playoff spot at the Christmas break and they do that. If you come out of that with back-to-back losses, I think you've kind of erased everything that you worked so hard for when you were in California. And, you know, I tried to talk or I tried to ask Jacob Markstrom after Tuesday's game against the Oilers about maintaining that momentum and unfortunately I did so I think with marbles in my mouth and it didn't make a lot of sense when I tried to ask the question but you know he talked about the fact that yeah we still did a lot of the things we wanted to do tonight but you have to get the results and I think that is really significant when you then fast forward to Wednesday night in Seattle because if we're sitting here today talking about a Flames team that has played two strong games and lost two in a row it's a very different conversation. Now we're talking about a team that has collected nine of a possible 12 points in their past six games, including those four in California, a team that seems to be trending in the right direction in a lot of ways. And and I think getting the result and gutting it out the way they did last night against the Kraken is really significant in that. Yeah. And if we're looking at the, the macro of, of the season, I mean, they were, Hovering around 500, 500-ish. We'll, we'll get into this a bit more in the, the next segment, but just in terms of the last little stretch, they were 500-ish, and if you were, you know, we were hearing so much about, you know, I think we talked in this venue a lot about uh, strength of schedule. The, oh, well, you know, D- Daryl Sutter even mentioned it, uh, I think, both before and after the, the game on Wednesday, that, you know, Seattle is where they are because in some ways they had a favorable schedule. Now Seattle has a much worse schedule. They have a lot of games and a lot of games against good teams. But the Flames played a lot of really good teams. They've, if you look at their season, their you know, their season series, they've seen all the Edmonton they're going to see. They've seen 
all of it are going to see about a lot of good teams. And if you were an optimistic Flames fan, or if you're someone working for the hockey club going, no, we still got faith they can make the playoffs and they can go on a run because they've played A, a lot of Eastern teams, and B, a lot of good teams. When you start going on a run of games against the teams you have to compete with and beat to make the playoffs, you kind of want to have success against them in order to maintain that belief. And, you know, they they went on that four-game road trip. They went 3-0-1. And now, like, they, they're in that stretch of, I think, uh, the Saturday night's game, uh, New Year's Eve against the Vancouver Canucks, is the finals game of a seven-game stretch against uh, against teams in their own division. Right. And they head into that with a 4-1-1 record in their first six games of that seven-game stretch. If you lose against Seattle, it's three, two, and one, and me, you're you're a little bit less. You're you know, if the Flames don't get the result they won on Seattle against uh, on Saturday against Vancouver, they're still four, two, and one, and that's pr- that's a pretty good record. That's if you go yeah, four, two, and one that. in every five game stretch or every seven game stretch you have, you're in. Uh, if you go three, three, and one or three, two, and one, you know, th- if you lose against Seattle, then maybe you know you might get goalied against uh, Vancouver. They. Thatcher Demko is pretty good. They have uh, guys who can score some goals. May, you know, maybe maybe have a bad day against the, against Vancouver. But this in, a insulates them against a, a bad result, so they can still f- look at this, the aggregate of their of their stretch of, the, of this stretch of games and go, that's pretty good. Played well. You played the way you wanted to, and you got the results. But also, you have the potential with a, a win on Saturday to make this like you know if you if you end up going five one and one in a seven game stretch against your own division. Regardless of if you're playing the California teams who might not be as good or the teams that you're battling against directly for playoff spots, you still have to beat these teams to make it. And they're doing what they can to make their lives easier. So since we agree on the significance of getting two points out of that game against Seattle last night, and especially, I think, doing it in regulation, which is something Jonathan Huberto mentioned when he chatted with reporters today, let's circle back to that timeout. Because I'm I'm really torn on this one. It's rare that you see someone call a timeout that early. Even on the broadcast, the the uh, I think uh, Rick Ball sort of comments like, "Oh, he's using it this early, huh?" Yeah. And so, did it have an impact? If you look at the at the immediate shift afterwards, uh, yes and no. I and think. and that's where I struggle with it because you call timeout. We don't know exactly what Daryl Sutter was saying, but you know it, it appeared if you can read lips to include some four letter words and uh, pretty clear that he wasn't overly enamored with what he was seeing. Rasmus Anderson, I believe termed it an awful shift to start the second period. And he was not wrong about that, but you call timeout. And then on the very next shift, you cough up two breakaways, both to Brandon Tanev. Your goalie makes a great save on one. The other glances off the crossbar. I don't know that it was the timeout that settled the Calgary Flames down. Maybe maybe it was the breakaways. Maybe the breakaways <laughs> was a bit of an added reality check, but it's it's become an interesting narrative out of last night as well. Sutter really calmed things down with the timeout. I don't know that that's the case, but I'm curious to to hear what other people, what uh, you think, what um, the text line thinks, imagine, because I just don't know. Imagine if you're the five guys, you know, you you uh, obviously, you know, D- uh, Daryl Sutter commented after the game, he, he phrased it basically on both the goals they gave up. They sort of lost track of their guys uh, in their own end, which, yes, it was the case. They lost track of their guys. Uh, and, you know, Penny Galaxiak's brother makes a nice pinch to to get that goal, too. Uh, but, you know, if you're, the, if you're those guys, the five guys on the ice, and they... Bring you back to the bench, Daryl Sutterigi the ride act, and then you go back on the ice. You give up two breakaways. 
what's going through your mind when you head back to the bench? Like, if he said this much to you... You should be thinking, I'm glad he doesn't have another timeout. <laughs> probably. You're probably... And that they're probably... You're probably thinking, like, okay, how long to the next TV timeout? Okay, can I get back on and have <laughs> a good shift and yeah. give him something positive to say? But, yeah, like, I, I just think, you know, on one hand, yeah, I, I think you probably did, by calling that timeout, give them a chance to take a deep breath. The guys sure. on the bench can sort of you go, okay, don't give up two goals. That's, that's a, that's a good, that's good advice. Don't give up. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe they sort of get a, a glance at specific gaps that they have. You know, I, one of the, like, granted, we're getting, we're getting spoiled uh, by uh, at some points, international tournaments, having, you know, coaches mic'd up. I would kill to just ha- hear Daryl Sutter or Ryan Husk or Kirk Muller during a timeout sort of, what they're explaining. There's in a hundred years, we're never going to get that access, but I would, I would love to sort of just see from an eye in the sky perspective, what they map out, what they say, what they can say and share that is fit for publication or, or broadcast because that just, I think that is, if we talk about game management from a coaching perspective, I think that's, that's in theory where you would get your value, right. From, from having a guy, you know, it's probably just, which guys to throw out when and when to call a timeout, right? Sure, and I I, I don't think the timeout hurt them in any sense. It, it certainly didn't, and and I'm not here to second guess the bench management of of a guy who's won 700 and some regular season games in the NHL. I just think I think that part might be getting a little overblown. I'm not sure the timeout was the turning point in that game. Maybe the turning point was your goalie making sure that you don't pay the price for for two breakaways and and. You know what's interesting to me on on the timeout topic is you really probably wish you had it late, although Dave Haxtall does you a huge solid. If I'm Seattle's head coach and you've got five flames who are absolutely gasping for breath on an icing with 20 seconds left, I'm not calling timeout to set up a play. I hope you've got something ready. I'd be dropping that puck as quick as possible, but Dave Haxtall did the Calgary Flames a real solid when he called timeout at the end of there, yesterday's there was, game. There was also a weird one. I want to say it was in the third period, another third period icing, where you know the, the rule, folks, is basically you got to put the five guys out who are on the ice when they, it got iced. You know, it, It's a fairly simple rule, but they took probably about 40 seconds. Yeah, they spent a long time on that yeah, one. Yeah, the, the officials go to the, go to the timekeeper, ask... Hey, who who is on the ice? And then they take the time to write it out on a on a piece of paper. The referee skates over to the Flames bench and just recites up. Okay, here's here's the guys you have to come have out. And so, granted, you never want to say to the referees, shouldn't that have been a delay of game penalty? Like by the by the rule book, it's supposed to be a delay of game. If if by by the time the referee goes, okay, I'm, I'm dropping the puck. It should be a delay of game. Like it was, it was a weird one for the officials. And you know, we're talking if we, as long as we're talking about weird timeouts, that that came to mind because that was that was another one where the Flames got a big breather. They probably maybe shouldn't or couldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, the one at the end of the night that really stuck out for me. But it, but I think you're right. They uh, they were a little bit fortunate with how that one played out. And and listen, we watch it every night icing gets called and you got two guys trying to sneak off and, and two trying to sneak on. And, and they did make the Calgary flames make some changes, but here's another thing you can give the flames credit for. And and this is especially tough. I think sometimes on, on the second half of a back to back, they did not 
they were a very disciplined team last night. And we've seen them take some, I'm always hesitant to call them lazy, but we've seen some of those stick-in-the-hands penalties, some of those hooks that you really can avoid in the last little while. We've talked so much about the Calgary Flames and, and the fact that they seem to constantly be shorthanded. They're, they're the, the, I think in terms of uh, penalty chance or uh, power play chances against, they lead the league. Yeah, in you shorthanded. do not want to be tops in the loop in that category. But they're lucky they have a top five penalty kill. Good on them last night because that was another component of their victory and another another thing that we're going to need to see them be able to carry forward more times than not because, yes, they have a relatively strong penalty kill, but they have put way too much pressure on it so far this season, and, and last night they didn't. Yeah, and Wednesday night was a battle of pop culture reference goaltenders with Gru, as they call him in Seattle, facing uh, the man that Flames fans call Darth Vladar. And Darth Vladar, or Dan Vladar, as we, we sports writers call him, had a he had a really good game. Uh, he you know he allowed two goals. I I don't think he can really be you know called the carpet for the two goals he allowed. And as you mentioned, made two very big saves. Like if 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 you're down two one in the first minute and a half of the second period in a row building the second half of back to back and you get down three, one really quickly. Maybe we're having a different conversation about the outcome, but he, you know, like Daryl Sutter said, he was the guy they needed him to be. We've, you know, we've heard Daryl say variations of he did his job regarding both his goaltenders, particularly Dan Vladar, Dan, you know, the way the Jason LaBarbera and Jordan Siglet managed their backup goaltenders, uh, especially Siglet since Jordan's been with the organization. If you're the backup goalie, you get the second half back-to-backs on the road. You get a lot of weird suboptimal, uh, out, you know, suboptimal deployments. You're not going to get, you know, your team rested playing in a lot against a lot of rested teams. You're going to get, you know, a lot of, Tough, tough sledding, for lack of a better term. But Dan Vladar, in tough sledding, has been really, really good in those situations this year. Yeah, a couple things that really stuck out for me as I watched last night, and I I wasn't in Seattle. My colleague, Danny Austin, was there on behalf of Post Media. But as I watched on TV, a couple things about Dan Vladar's performance that really struck me. One, the breakaway save that we haven't talked about yet is the one on uh, Daniel Sprong when the game was still 0-0, you're talking about they, the Flames knew that there was going to be a really strong push early on from a rested Kraken team, and we did see that. Well, that breakaway save to keep it scoreless, albeit with a ton of runway remaining, that's a really important save for the Calgary Flames. And the other thing that I was really struck by with Dan Vladar last night is there was a lot of traffic around his crease. How many times did we see him take a nudge from a guy on the way by? I think there was there was that stretch in the second period where he got knocked down once with a sort of, it was kind of incidental, a guy going for a tip, and I think they both sort of bonked into each other. And then a, a, a drive-by with a, a defenseman right. tying a guy up on the way past. Morgan Geeky gave him a little bit of a drive-by. And and I really liked his poise in those situations. and. And Dan Vladar is sort of the opposite of the loose cannon. You know, we don't we don't see him lose it very often. We we don't see him slashing at guys or or shoving guys with his blocker or anything. Uh, I, I think of the two goaltenders in the Flames uh, in Flames silks these days, I think we can bet on which one would be more likely to get in a goalie fight. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, Dan Vladar is a guy who just sort of stays in his blue paint. But I really liked the poise last night, and I think he. 
calms the entire team down when he's like that. And at his best, Jacob Markstrom's like that as well. We've seen him get a little bit fiery in some of his more frustrating stretches of this season. At his best, he's also one of those guys that can't be bothered by anything. But I thought that was an important element yesterday for Dan Vladar as well. I agree. And, you know, he's... uh... I don't think he's in any danger of uh, of stealing Jacob Markstrom's uh, starting duties anytime soon. I think Markstrom at his best, as we saw last season, a fantastic goalie. I think, what, second second in Vesna voting, uh, voted the second team all-star by the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Very good goalie, and he has he's shown that, that potential. And I think having a guy like Vladar to spell him off and a guy who the, the team has confidence to use as often as they do, I think that's the key to getting the most they can out of Markstrom this season. Yeah, you need both guys going at the same time, and we haven't necessarily seen that this season, especially because of the amount of time it took Jacob Markstrom to sort of find his groove. So if you can if you can count on goaltending performances like that on back-to-back nights, you're going to be in, in pretty good shape. So around the corner, we'll have more on the Flames' big win against Seattle and uh, a bit of a bigger picture look. Uh, about what it all means right around the corner here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today with Ryan Pike and Wes Gilbertson coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. As always, download the show at the Sportsnet Today feed and text us your thoughts at 960-960. And that's important because Wes and I, uh, before we came on air today, had a, had a, a very interesting conversation that we went... We, let's save this for the air. And Wes says that to me a lot, but usually because he just doesn't want to get into a long conversation when he's writing. But now it's because he actually wants to save something good for the air. This is the magic of radio. Changing on the fly. We got a few things we want to talk about, and we'll still get to those. But here's what we got chatting about just before popping on the air today. And that was, what is the Calgary Flames kind of hallmark victory so far this season? If you were to pick one win from this group so far and say that's what they need to replicate that's how this team needs to play to win that is the recipe for success we want to know what it is which game would you bottle up and then tell them just do that yeah just over ser- and over again. serve over and over again like a reliable ranch dressing Ooh, good callback good uh callback. so shoot us your notes on the text line I am anxious to hear what people have to say. And I think a little bit later in this segment, we're going to, we're going to stop the clock on our own thoughts and, uh, and weigh in on exactly that. And and see if you guys can come up with better ones than we did, because, you know, I, during the break, Wes and I were going through the, the list of wins and looking at them and furrowing our own brows because, you know, it's a, I, I feel like at flameposition.ca, I've written in the Why the Flames Won segment of the recap the term imperfect win a lot. And what's been their most perfect win? We'll see. We'll see what you come up with. Uh, if I might add, this is an important development because Pike and I just learned how to operate the text line. So please don't leave us hanging. 960-960. If nobody texts in, we're going to be devastated. Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility. They just recently gave us the key to the bathroom, so... I haven't received that yet. Oh, sorry. I didn't want to lord that over you. Uh, that was a, so we we got into this uh, this a little bit last segment about the way the Flames won that game, and a I wanted to to bring up some praise for Tyler Toffoli because 
of all the players, I think Tyler got a little bit of heat last year for not scoring on his 17 million scoring chances in the playoffs. He was might have been the, the guy with the worst puck luck ever because if you looked at his heat map, it was all over the place, right around the net, and just found ways to hit Ottinger or hit a crossbar or somehow go like three inches wide of the net. This year, he does the, he's seems to have found his mojo because he again he's constantly around the net constantly doing things well and he's one of those guys that Daryl Sutter always has a lot of praise for in terms of I think he he's used the phrase goal scorer with various adjectives uh, appended to the beginning of it but he's also the kind of guy that scores a lot of those quote unquote greasy goals because you know as much as you want to have someone you know you score a goal and it's play, you know, they go on Sportsnet Central and show you the, the highlight pack of someone going end to end and dangling in and around between some, some defensemen and going top cheddar. And then, you know, everyone, everyone jumps and cheers. Those goals count just the same as a goal from two, two feet out where you just jam it in. And the one, nothing goal against uh, Phil Grubauer was a nice play of Toffoli seeing Noah Hannafin open at the point, throwing it up the wall to him and then hanging around the front of the net. The goaltender made the first save, but when you have a guy like Tyler Toffoli mucking around, battling two Kraken defensemen and making sure the goalie doesn't have uh, an easy time of freezing that loose puck, those are the kind of goals that win you games, especially when you get into April, you know, April, May, right? Yeah, I thought Tyler Toffoli really put his money where his mouth was there as well because he talked about it. Yesterday morning in Seattle, when the the Flames did their pregame media avail, obviously they're coming off a night where they'd had one goal to show for forty seven shots on Stuart Skinner, and and he came out and he said, you know, it's not it's not necessarily about shot volume as much as it's getting to the right areas. If you if you're hanging around the blue paint, you're going to get those rebounds. You're going to find pucks lying around and. And we hear that whenever a team is struggling to score or coming off a night where they don't wind up with much to show for their offense. But he went out and he absolutely put his money where his mouth was on that play. And kudos. I thought Dylan Dubé had a sneaky good game last night and he starts that play as well with the deflection. Um, the reason that puck is kind of hanging around is is because he puts a little English on it and and makes Grubauer make a save. And And so kudos to both those guys in that instance but if Tyler Toffoli can score goals that way I think it sets a really good example for the rest of his Flames teammates he he is one of the more natural goal scorers they have you know I think back to that goal he scored in in San Jose where he's walking down easy street and you kind of think to yourself if there's one guy that you want with the puck on his stick and nobody around this is certainly one of the guys you're choosing. I think there was a goal. I want to. It was on the the Eastern. I want to say either Florida or Tampa, where Huberdo sent Toffoli in all by himself, and he just made the goalie look look silly. Yeah, he, he has that goals. talent. He, yeah, he, it, but, but it, it, I imagine if you're one of the younger guys in the team, it probably sets a nice example when a guy with a a guy who's done what he's done in the league has you know he goes in and does the work to get those kind of goals too. Well, because you can't have one of your top liners saying in the morning hey, we, we have to get more greasy goals. We have to get to the blue paint and then kind of go out at night and act like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna be the guy who snipes and, and you guys sort of clean up the leftovers. And that's not Tyler Toffoli. That's not what he did last night. And and I think for that reason, we're talking about a guy who leads the team in goals. He, he has been 
a very consistent and productive player for the Calgary Flames. But last night, the way he sort of, you know, walked the talk, so to speak, I, I really liked that. Yeah, and uh, this month has been, I think, a really productive month for the Flames. They, they The beginning of it wasn't, I think, what a lot of Flames fans would hope for. December 1st, the Flames have that game where they put up 40-some shots on Jake Allen, don't get the result, lose in that game. Uh, that game dropped them to 500. I believe they were 10-10 and something, like 10-10 and 3 when that uh, that game ended. And since then, they've won, you know, they've gone 7-3 and 4. They've, you know, they they came in the month, game above 500, dropped to 500. And since then, they've done a lot of good things to give themselves some breathing room and give themselves some daylight. They were a team that was sort of, you know, all due respect to the Vancouver Canucks, the Flames were in danger of sort of falling to the Vancouver Canucks level of the pack, the secondary pack, if you will, the teams that are chasing the teams, chasing a playoff spot. And you got to commend them. They, they, you know, they play the teams they played and they beat the teams they beat and they did what they needed to do to grab hold of the rest of the pack. And now, you know, the Flames, I imagine will probably be playing this game for a lot of the rest of the season where Flames will win and they'll go they'll go from a point up or into a tie to a point or two, you know, into into breathing room. And then they might slide back down. I, I have a feeling that uh, depending on the time of day and what mood people are in, they'll be able to tell you that, that the Flames are or not in the playoffs. Yeah, I think we're going to ride this roller coaster for a while with this team. And that's not a knock on the Flames as much as what I see sort of transpiring in a clustered Pacific Division. I I watched last night with curiosity on on whether I think the Kraken can hang around, and I I really do. They 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 need to continue to get some goaltending, but they play with really impressive speed. They have a pretty good defensive posture. They don't allow a lot of shots, and so you've got five teams in the Pacific Division, and maybe six if you believe in the Vancouver Canucks that I think are going to hang around the playoff picture. For a long time, and and I really believe we're probably talking about this into the first week of April. I I, I think this is going to be one of those win and you're in, lose and you're out kind of scenarios for at least a couple months, unless the Calgary Flames can really string a bunch together and, and give themselves a little bit of breathing room. In the entire conference, just looking at the standings, in the entire conference, there might be two teams you feel really comfortable right now going, you know, Dallas is far enough ahead of most of the other teams in the Central that I think they're not home and cool, but I think they're feeling reasonably comfortable. Same with Vegas, where I think Vegas, you know, Vegas is at 50 points. They're well enough ahead of everybody else that I think they're going to do okay. And on the, you know, the back end, there's a handful of teams that are probably dreaming of Connor Bedard rather than first-round playoff matchups. But there's, there's a lot of teams in that mushy middle, and it's I think it's going to make scoreboard watching especially you know after we get past you know as we approach and after we get past that that march trade deadline it's gonna make uh it very interesting on off nights for you know hockey writers hockey fans and hockey teams because you know depending on whether you're watching the early game or the late game or you you oversleep and turn it on in the morning things are things can change in a hurry right now yeah absolutely piker i gotta tell you you gotta get hooked up with this text line because I don't think we've ever been so popular. There, People have some interesting, there's some games that I hadn't thought of, and, and we're going to get into it, but but maybe one more call for text. We, we want to talk about the Flames' hallmark victory, the, the game 
that you look at and say that's exactly the type of win the Calgary Flames need more of. That that is the type of effort, that's the type of game plan that that's exactly what the Flames need to replicate over and over. We're taking texts at 960-960. Surprisingly, we're popular. We're popular. People want to weigh in. And so uh, last do call. We, do we got good ones yet? Yeah, there are some good ones. Now I feel like I'm cheating because I, I was, you know, I was only half decided. Although I have one in mind that I haven't seen pop up yet. So let's give people a few more minutes and then let's let's really dig into that one because I think it's a fun conversation. Yeah, and... Uh... We, we discussed their, their record in this six-game stretch, soon to be seven games in their division. So this season, they're 7-3-2 and two in the, against the Pacific Division. Uh, by my count, they have 14 games left against their division. And so if, if they can maintain this type of uh, success, and if you look against, you know, if you look at the teams they're still going to play a few games against, they they've you know have a couple. I think they have one left against Seattle. They have a bunch left against Vancouver, against L.A., against San Jose, against Anaheim. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're seeing like the the tough teams, the the teams currently in the playoff spots, you know they they're still going to see Vegas a bunch more. They're still going to see you know Seattle, Edmonton. Gosh, no more Edmonton. Unfortunately, we'll get into we can get into that later. At another day, because I think we've well litigated the fact that what a shame that is. I don't get to see Mark Spector until next season. Well, you could always drive up the road and say hi. I mean, did you see the cabbage rolls? No. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, I think his family made cabbage rolls when he was away. Either cabbage rolls or pierogies. Well, whatever it was, it looked tasty and it made me hungry. So you know, I'm not really a cabbage roll guy, but you got me with pierogies. Oh God, there's uh, I'd drive up there for some pierogies. There, there's some good spots there for. Uh, eating up there oh yeah a few good spots we'll see we'll see uh yeah i'm 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 really curious if they can keep this going because you know as as cliche as it sounds if they have a a good record against their own division i think it makes life really easy on them in terms of making or or, uh, making the postseason or getting a particular seed because you know early on when the the flames are on that seven game losing streak i think a lot of people could you know it was easy to sort of see the uh, the the cloud in terms of oh, will it be eight days wasted as Daryl said? But now, I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility, and I think it's a distinct real possibility they could still end up in a division playoff spot. Maybe not first because I think catching Vegas is a very tall order, especially with the way Vegas has been playing, especially For sure. when Vegas is healthy. But they still got games left against Vegas, so I'm not willing to rule anything out right now. Yeah, I mean, what you're hoping to do if you're the Calgary Flames is prove me wrong on what I just said in that I think it's going to be something that we're talking about right down to the wire. And the way that you do that is you win the bulk of your division games. When you have opportunities to play Seattle, when you have opportunities to play the Los Angeles Kings, when you get the Vancouver Canucks like you do on New Year's Eve, if you win the bulk of those games... We're not talking about are they in or out at the start of April. That's how you give yourself some separation. Exactly. And another thing that gives them some separation would be some signature hallmark victories. Uh, Is it time? I think it's time. I think we're, should we, do do we want to volunteer ours first? We want to go to the text line first. You know, let's, well, what do you think? We didn't talk about this part. This is the magic of radio part two. I'll I'll throw out one of mine. Okay. And I'll, I'll freely admit they took too many penalties this game. And that's probably the thing, you know, if, if we went up to Daryl Sutter tomorrow at Winsport and said, Daryl, this is what we think your signature game would be. 
Grant, I don't think he'll agree with us no matter which one we, we give him, but I think this one he'd say, I didn't like the penalties. Uh, at the end of October, they beat uh, Pittsburgh 4-1, to one, and there was a game the Flames never trailed. Their power play was good. They outscored them on 5-on-5. Five five. They took too many penalties. I think they had to kill off four or five penalties, and I think that's the thing the Flames, would, Flames coaching staff would go, uh... I don't really like that. They they got outshot by Pittsburgh, very close margin. A lot of that was special teams. So if you look at the five on five play, Flames wildly outplayed Pittsburgh. Shots were very one sided at five on five. But it's the special teams thing I think that the Flames would look at and go, well, scored some power play goals. Didn't so much like their their play in terms of their discipline. And I think that'd be the the one. I think there's a few games like that where they scored enough goals, but the the discipline that they had or didn't have in a particular game would cause the, the, the coaching staff to throw a few flags. And, and maybe that's what makes this a little bit of a difficult conversation, or, or maybe that's what makes it tough to come up with a hallmark victory so far for these 22-23 Calgary Flames, is that there haven't been a lot of perfect nights or any perfect nights, and, and you don't expect perfection, but you know there's been some warts, and, and it's easy to pick those apart, but... You know, we're still talking about a team that's won 17 games this year. So let's. I, I think, I think Blake Coleman. I want to. I apologize if I if I treat this as the wrong player. There's too many good quotes kicking around this month. Are you going to quote me from one of my own stories? It might be. Yeah, but I mean, Blake Coleman mentioning that to Post Media, to Post Media, to Post Media's Wes Gilbertson, <laughs> uh, but mentioning just the idea that you know we talked about how you know the the Flames based on strength of schedule were sort of still hanging around. The fact that. I don't think they've played their best hockey. Like we, it's a group that I think on paper you'd look at and go, they're capable of playing a certain way. And I think we've seen it in, in spurts and flashes and good 10, 20 minute stretches. But, you know, I think one of the common threads that we brought up after even very complete victories or barely, you know, quasi complete victories has been asking players, do you think this was your best 60 minute game? And more often than not, we get sort of a version of, uh, don't know if we were playing a great 60 minutes here. Yeah, absolutely. And that just speaks to the fact that they they do think they have better. And quite frankly, they need to have better to be a playoff team. So let's go to the text line here because there's a few that have come up more than once. I'm not going to read all of them, but um, let's start with the, the home opener. 5-3 victory on October 13th over the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, a team that I believe did some special things last summer. So uh, let me just take a look uh, at a the, team that played the night before though, a team that had played the night before. Here's one of the texts coming in and says, I was thinking the first game early against Colorado was a great game. Maybe I remember thinking it would be a tough game, but they started great early and that game comes to mind. So yep. few votes coming in for that Colorado game. You mentioned the Pittsburgh game toward the end of October, uh, a four, one home victory. And that one's come up. Someone uh, says, I think the Pittsburgh win might have been their best one. You are agreeing with Ryan Pike. And so an extra vote. And uh, and there have been several for that game. My, my uh, votes are with half, though. A couple more that have come up. Uh, the victory over the Florida Panthers end of November in Matthew Kachuk's first game. Someone writes in, Panthers at home. They held Kachuk pointless and scored goals. A great team effort. And then one I didn't necessarily think of. I, I believe this game ended... 6-5, and this person writes in, I'd say the LA win at the Dome. Yes, it was imperfect, but they had the goaltending, which got them the win and the scoring. And so That's a good one. Yeah, some interesting one. ones there. And here's one that hasn't been mentioned. Oh, and I got to read one more text because this kind of summarizes, I think, what we've heard a lot of from the Sea of Red. 
This person writes, the game that didn't end in a one-goal game. <laughs> you always do appreciate some of those. That might be that might be Daryl Sutter's number. We'll have to cross-reference with, that it's later. E- it's either that or a sports writer who had to write a gamer in yeah. the third period with a one-goal lead. Yeah, that could be. I might have texted that in myself. Here's the other one that I, I would raise. And, you know, this one really sticks out for me, I think, because of what it meant. And that was breaking out of a lengthy skid. But I, I remember the 3-2 home victory over the Winnipeg Jets as a game that just was sort of that ho-hum, really stout effort that you expect from the Flames. They outshot them 35-23. They only took three penalties, as did the Jets. That, to me, was just one of those games that that was kind of a a trademark Flames win under Daryl Sutter, and and so I'd throw that one out as well. Yeah, because I'd say, just recalling all the conversations we've had with Daryl, I think he wants the team to have three or fewer penalty kills uh, he wants them to out shoot, out chance, out whatever the other position. Usually at five on five because he does. I don't think they really want to rely on a lot of special teams. And the way the Flames manage their bench and, and roll their different players and use them in different roles, you probably don't want to have a, a, too much four and four or five or three on three or four on. But you don't want to take it away from five on five because it throws guys out of the flow of the game. And so, yeah, that that Winnipeg game might be the closest in terms of all of the boxes getting ticked. Yeah, and it's interesting with this Flames team because some of their best games, and and I think, you know, I th- I think back no further than Tuesday against Edmonton. I I think to the road game that they lost in Boston. You could come up with some examples of of some of their stronger games actually ending in losses. But I think that's a pretty good cross reference of of games. So thanks to those who texted in, it, it was important for Piker and I's self confidence that the uh, that the text line chimed a couple times. And thanks to our outstanding producers, Taylor and Cameron, because they just taught us how to open the text line, which was a, a big step, I think, for both of us. And uh, yeah, fun chat for sure. Yeah, I think uh, that'll do it for uh, Sportsnet today. Uh, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, next hour, Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson from Post Media will be sticking around. Uh, so that's that's all it for uh, for this hour. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you up next for Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.